Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is my friend and the host of the Gamers with Jobs podcast, Sean Andrich. Hey, it's an honor to finally be on Three Moves Ahead. Uh, I've, I've been slowly filtering you guys through one by one, and uh, I hesitated there for a second because I'm so used to you being on the podcast and just sort of walking me through the introduction that I was like, <laughs> okay, I should probably just shut up and let Sean take over. Yeah, no, please don't. Please don't make me do that. <laughs> uh, we're also joined once again by our friend Evan Lottie from PC Gamer. Hey, Rob. I miss hockey. You miss uh, hockey? Oh my God! You know what? Let's just, let's do it. Let's do a three moves ahead episode where you and I just like sport hunt Batman. Like we set him <laughs> loose in the woods. It'll be like the hunter. I've got and, Winnipeg uh, Jets season tickets, so yeah, I'm, oh I'm missing hockey God. a little bit too. Oh, oh no, man. that's a, that's a new arena and new team. Oh yeah, kinda. it's excellent. It's awesome. I'm sorry. So are you, but you don't you didn't pay for those like for the season, right? You didn't. There's no money you've spent. Well, that's hockey. the funny part. My business actually owns them, um, but they actually make you pay for them for this season if you want to keep them. And then what they'll do is they'll pay interest on the money that you've given them. Oh my god! And carry it over to the next year is what they're doing. It's brutal. Wow. Oh my Weird. god. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, infuriating, but. Um, I have to set it aside, have to put down, put away my anger, put it in a little box. Uh, as I introduce my next uh, guest, we welcome back uh, freelance writer Phil Cameron. Phil, welcome back to the show. Thanks. I'm completely um, flabbergasted by the ice hockey. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's, a, it's a shameful scandal. Uh, okay. um, it's, 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 it's a shame of the Western um, world. Appropriately appalled, then. So we've got a little bit of an unusual show for you this week. Uh, you know, coming off the Thanksgiving break, uh, fell a little bit off schedule, but also I kind of got obsessed with a new game that I really did not expect uh, to click with uh, quite so intensely, and that game is Planetside 2. And sort of the origin for this episode, in fact, is a comment that uh, Phil made to me, I think on uh, Thanksgiving Day, uh, you know, wondering whether or not we were playing, you know, the first real uh, FPS RTS. And while I don't think you can go that far, I think there's definite similarities between this and the, between Planetside 2 and what's going on in a lot of RTSs, uh, but you're just playing from this completely unusual perspective. So I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, get together with some of my favorite uh, writers and personalities and people who know shooters really well and talk about uh, what is it about Planetside 2 that sort of sets it apart from what shooters have done before and whether or not we can sort of call this maybe a pseudo strategy fps maybe if tom check were here he'd agree with me <laughs> but but phil i wanted to start with you because it was kind of your remark that set me off on this train of thought um so were you just you know sort of uh, taking the piss as it were or or do you seriously see a lot of overlap between this and real-time strategy i think i honestly do um think that there is a lot of overlap because it's it's. It, I mean, depending on the perspective you're taking with it, it's going to look a lot like a RTS if you want it to, because um, they've got the commander roles and they've got the squad leaders and everything. So you've got. It's essentially like an RTS where you have no control over the units and you can just try and convince them to do what you want. Um, but it's still on that scale, and I think that's the most important thing. Is RTS has always been divided, um, sort of defined by their scale, and Planetside's the only FPS I can think of that has managed to equal that scale. Um, in, in the genre of FPS, which is quite an impressive achievement and something that makes it feel as broad as a strategy game can be. 
Yeah, we should talk a little bit, I guess, about uh, the scale and sort of the way it's organized as well. Um, as I'm playing it, certainly I kind of feel like I am playing the part of a single soldier in, say, a gigantic game of, uh, you know, Supreme Commander, almost, uh, right. just minus the giant robots. But, uh, Evan, I was wondering if, you know, you, you, you've played a bit more of the game than I have. You could describe kind of what's going on in Planetside 2, how is it organized, and... Uh, you know, there, there's all these issues of, like, factional balance and resource management uh, that are kind of new and kind of confusing, really, if you haven't played the game. Yeah, the game does not necessarily offer a huge sweeping introduction to these things. Um, but structurally, it's set up, you know, there are three continents. There's a, an arid, deserty continent. There's a wintry continent. And there's a, I don't know, highland, savanna continent, I guess you'd call it. And, you know, basically, per, each server has these three continents. Per, per continent, it's, as I understand, about 2,000 total players but split between those three factions. That's, you know, that's the capacity, essentially. Um, and that's also another thing that makes it distinct, that there are three factions and not, not just a red team and a blue team in Planetside 2. Um, but yeah, in terms of, you know, the, the map per continent is split up into hexes and, and series of hexes that are connected. And, and some of these bases on the continents are sort of worth more than others, so to speak. You know, they each grant the faction that owns them, a certain amount of resources. And those resources go, go towards sort of the building of aircraft um, the, and the building of, um, you know, ground vehicles per player. So in other words, like, you know, if we're holding this western side of the map and this western side of the map happens to give us aircraft points, I'm earning those over time and it's sort of filling up a bar that I have as a player that I can spend on, you know, buying a, a galaxy, which is like the huge... C one thirty style troop transport. Right. I've never have I've never even ridden in one. <laughs> it's big. It's huge. It's That's like a twelve awesome. person gunship, yeah. Ugh. But um, you know, the notion is that like there every faction has a foothold in all the continents that cannot be captured, eliminated, it's totally protected. You can't take any damage in it, you can't attack it. It's like you can't even enter that zone if you're the enemy. So, so you can never be totally wiped out. But by occupying a bunch of territory, you're er, you're earning all these sort of bonuses they're not currency they're not like you know the, the experience points the certification points they're called they're called excuse me to unlock new stuff but it's just sort of you know giving you more capacity to unlock you know put more put more vehicles into the game right it's almost like the the game rewards you not so much with a lot of goodies it's more like it rewards you with greater flexibility i suppose is you you know if your team's sort of racking up more more points this way it's getting discounts and uh buying certain uh you know vehicles and such you just have a lot more flexibility to if somebody's there with a big ass tank and you didn't necessarily want to be in a tank you still have or you still have much greater freedom to just create a tank drive it around take out the you know target and then just walk away from the thing uh whereas if your team's kind of on the ropes there and and your points are and your personal points are lean for spawning a vehicle uh it can be a big decision whether or not you're going to create uh, you know, tank for yourself and take it into battle. I think that that's the idea, but I'm not sure how well it's working in practice because I've never found that I've got a lack of points to spend on vehicles so far. But I don't know if that's just because my faction's doing well, but it seems like even if I'm spawning a scythe and then a liberator and then a galaxy, I don't run out of airpoint points. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, it, there's also a separate cooldown attached to, you know, if you're, if you're spawning a, a galaxy, for example, you can't just walk up and spawn another galaxy. There's a 10-minute cooldown that you can actually, actually reduce by sp spending certification points to some extent. But yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like 
Um, you know, the act of capturing territory right now in the game isn't especially meaningful to me. It's, it doesn't feel significant. There's a, a nice feeling of like painting the map your color, but otherwise I don't really get a sense of what benefits I'm earning as a team. I feel like, and this is something we can talk about more. It's, it's really interesting to me. Like, you know, I'm really enjoying the game, but I'm also kind of, I'm kind of just playing it. My motivations right now, my, my extrinsic motivations are all just unlock stuff. I don't really have a lot of motivations to like as my faction to, to sort of like increase my like ownership over this environment. There's, there's not a lot of benefit there. I, I feel like. Sean, have you been, have you had much chance to uh, play around with planet with planet side and have these themes sort of been coming through for you? Uh, they definitely have, you know, one of the things that really struck me when I was playing tonight was I was just playing with a couple people from my site and we were just, uh, we just kind of said, okay, you know, it was, it was, it was such a relaxed atmosphere because we were basically just, uh, my squad leader who's been playing the game a bit more just, he's like, okay, I'm going to spawn a vehicle. It's all climb in and we're just going to follow the swarm. So we're just going to go from base to base. And it's an interesting concept because when you're going from base to base and you're following the hive mind uh, of your entire group, right? Because there doesn't seem to be any guiding force behind all these uh, this all these people other than there's just kind of a logical progression. If we've caught this place, captured it, we're going to go steamroll that place next. So we were just kind of leapfrogging from base to base. And it was almost more like uh, my teammates were more excited about getting the points to level up their guy than they were about any of the overarching ramifications of our actions, right? It was just cool to be at a base, get the 2000 points and move on to the network next one to get the 2000 points. So even though it's kind of created this really big battlefield, I have this really strong sense of everybody's kind of out for themselves. And it just so happens that following the herd tends to net you the most points. It's quite funny because I've been playing with um, a large platoon and doing sort of groups of 12 to 20 and we've been doing the opposite and we've been going away from the herd and trying to take um tertiary points that will cut off the um because the whole way that the control points works is adjacency so the more space you have joining the point you're trying to take the quicker you'll take it um so we've been trying to cut off the adjacency of the other factions um and that's meant we've kind of because we've got a squad we've developed our own purpose um even if it isn't necessarily something that's going to benefit us it's going to create a more interesting game um, and so that's what we've been doing. That's uh, that's really interesting because my experience has uh, certainly been a little more on the individual side. Uh, you know, I've not, I've, you know, I've, I've paired up with people, paired up with groups. Uh, Evan and I uh, single handedly won a continent the other day. I think that, <laughs> that's pretty much due to us. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, but it definitely, definitely is part of the sort of follow the swarm mentality. And I do think what you're talking about there, Phil, something I wish I saw more of in the game. And I kind of wish I maybe didn't have to organize it uh, myself, or you know, find a group that was going to sort of uh, play play its game for the greater good uh, like that. Because I do think you know that that mechanic you just described right there is is a really interesting one. Where uh, you know, if you go on a deep strike behind enemy lines to try to take a crucial objective. Uh, it's it's possible. It's it's totally feasible to do that. But you're right. Territories do fall based on adjacency of other controlled territories. And so if you're trying to grab a, an objective that you know really you are you haven't already sort of uh, triangulated on with other captures, uh, if you're just sort of you know out in the 
middle of nowhere uh, in hostile territory trying to you know grab a control point, uh, that's going to be a very tough nut to crack. And I think that makes for some really interesting uh, situations. But unfortunately, uh, as I found the other night, it, it doesn't always pay to go and try to find those interesting situations. Uh, l you know, last night I, I, I sign in and I, you know I ask Evan, uh, you know, where's the war? And you know, it turns out we spawned on different continents. Uh, he, you know, he was uh, on the wintry continent, uh, Esamir, and I was on Amerish, uh, which is kind of a, what would you say, green... It's like, it's like Savannah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rocky. Right, and the reason I was spawned there is because my entire faction was on Esamir, basically, and so we were badly outnumbered and just getting rolled on Amerish, and so I think, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sit here and fight for these control points. I'm going to defend the uh, territory of Most Holy Vanu or whatever the hell, uh, you know, my faction's <laughs> all about. Um, and it, it's it's a little frustrating because there it, it creates this incentive for the team to hive mind. And so if you're there fighting a losing battle, um, what you're going to start noticing is you're just as likely to start seeing te your team melt away to other continents uh, because that's where the victories are going. That's where the victories are. Yeah, but I think as a uh, sort of a counter to that, it's you you can't you've got to go into it um, aware that it's an MMO rather than that it's an FPS. Because if you try and play it like Call of Duty or Battlefield, you're not gonna it's not gonna work. Um, I don't think that's the way it's been built, and it's honestly more towards the the grand strategy than it is towards the FPS. I think even though that's how you play it, you're still it's it benefits you if you work in a group and you socialize and team together. Um, even if it's not necessarily that helpful, as in it doesn't help you do that very easily, it's still the best way to play it, I think. Where does the grand strategy part come in? Because uh, I was actually asking my squad mates about it, who have been playing it a lot longer than I have, about is there like a commander role like you'd see in Natural Selection 2 or the old Savage games? Is there is there is there a player who can grab a group and say, you guys need to go over there and do this, or is it really more just about your the squad level? It, it exists in a in sort of name only. Um, you can upgrade yourself so you can join the commander chat if you're a squad leader, and in, it, within that, I think you can talk to the entire faction um, and tell them where to go. But if they don't do it, you can't force them to do it. Right. Um, it's not like you can spawn extra things or anything like that. It's purely a um, essentially you just got to convince people that this is where you need to go. But however, I think just having some sort of direction, people will probably follow what you're saying, um, as long as it's not stupid advice. But then. That's, that's the role you've got to dice. Dice role. Mechanically, there isn't a lot in the game, as you're mentioning, Phil, to, to really express the strategy. You know, it's, it's a little disappointing that there isn't a system where a player can be either nominated or, or, or somehow, like, democratically selected to, to do things like, say, like, okay, we actually need to attack here, guys. I know the game, like, the game in its current form kind of automatically tells you, like, okay, yes, this area is under attack. It's flashing on the map. You should probably go here and help out. But... You know, there, there's there's so little granularity to it. You, you don't know like which fact, which side of that area is necessarily in trouble. Like, yes, you have a sense of like which capture points are lost within within a base, but you know, just just the ability of a commander to, to do something like tell the tanks to go here and tell the infantry to go here would be so welcome and, and such an improvement over the current system. I think. And and that was was present in Planet Side One. You had um, commanders able to draw on the map, and while of course that devolved into a certain amount of penises, it was still a um, beneficial system. And I'm sure at some point we'll probably see the return of something like that. It's just you've got to bear in mind this is launch week, um, and I think Sony's already bitten off quite a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing that it's actually working. 
Yeah, and I, I guess I, you know, you meant you brought a Call of Duty, and I really appreciate that Planet Side Two isn't a game where I'm an incredible superhero and everybody's an incredible superhero with all these like crazy perk powers that can make them run really fast or do these absurd things. I mean, almost every every success in the game is all, is is brought about by teamwork, you know, and and the concentrated group of whether it's like that, you know, a four player team or something or a 120 person team, it, it's that group of people deciding to do something and and executing it, you know, as there are a few situations, you know, you might get into a lucky spot as a sniper where you, you find this sort of nook behind an enemy attack where you're picking people off, but that's only successful because your teammates are distracting them. You know, you're, you're, you're racking up a, a sniping, a sniping kill streak because they have, you know, they're not paying attention to you. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that Planet Side 2 is a game that purports those ideas and provides a different kind of experience than, than even Battlefield 3, honestly, you know, other than the scale, it's it's a different sense of specialization. I think, particularly, I mean, Planet Side Two, as a sniper, I'm not I'm not simply a guy who shoots from a distance, but I can be a sniper that shoots from a specific set of distances, like okay, like medium range, semi-automatic, or like very long range, bolt action with a 10x scope and things like that. And like there are those kinds of really specific differences b- built into the roles. You know, I'm a heavy assault guy, and I hunt air vehicles or I hunt tanks. Um, and I appreciate those sort of like really job style differences, uh, even in the vehicles themselves. I mean, the Sunder, which is sort of the, the 12 person, uh, school bus, so planet side, it's, it's really fun to bring one, one of those into play and just sort of act as a, as a support role, find the right region on the map, deploy it. And you're getting experience bonuses from everybody that spawns into that spawn as a spawn point. Um, but yeah, I mean, so far that's, that's kind of one of my favorite aspects of the game. Yeah, definitely, and it seems to there's a lot of um, synergy between the way the classes work and the vehicles work within each other as well. Um, and even though, like with the Sundra, you've got spawn bonuses when people do that, but even as the Galaxy, if you drop off a bunch of people at a point, you start to get deploy kill bonuses for people killing people as soon as they've landed, um, and it just incentivizes people to play a support role, which is often not the most exciting. Do you think uh, one thing, I guess I'm kind of standing in the newbie position because I really haven't put the kind of hours in. I, I will be eventually. Uh, but uh, one of the other things uh, my squad mates were, were noting was that it, it seems like the game definitely incentivizes you to be on the attack more than on the defensive yeah. as far as the points that you gain. You seem to gain more when you're attacking. Whereas on the defense, you I think you get an experience bonus for everything you do. But whereas when you attack, you'll get a huge clump of points as soon as you've captured an area. Yeah, it does seem odd, seeming as they do have a whole um, base defended um, award that comes up once you've successfully stopped an attack, um, that it doesn't have an XP boost when that happens. But yeah, I don't, I don't know why that has, what the case is. I can imagine how awful this game would be, though, if it really encouraged uh, camping too much. Because uh, I, I can just imagine, you know, the fi- the the fields being littered with snipers, uh, you know, <laughs> sitting in gulches for hours, basically. Well, luckily, the the scale of the map means that if they did that, it would be people sitting miles apart with oh, no yeah. one getting any kills. So it's It'd not quite as day. much of a worry. Yeah. Oh, there's there's just such a fine line between camping and defending. You know, mm, like yeah. whatever happened to just manning a wall? <laughs> you know, just steadfastly staring out the horizon and waiting for enemies well you know i should say last night you know because in some ways defending does have certain advantage i find it i'm going to get a lot more kills per life Uh, my kill to death is going to go up 
if I am on the defense, in all likelihood. Unless we're just steamrolling some objective and, you know, you're just getting swarm kills, basically. But so last night, for instance, when I was sort of single-handedly trying to stem the, uh, stem the uh, tide of uh, the Elmos, uh, you know, as they, as they spread across our continent... Um, I was defending uh, th- this uh, research facility. Whatever it was, th- it was this big dome thing, like up in the sky. Uh, it was totally badass. I uh, can't imagine any actual research happening there, but it was it was, it was legit cool. Um, but it was pretty great because I was basically defending this uh, this this helipad that the enemy team kept trying to land in, and you do get bonuses if you go on a kill streak. And so, like, the better you do, like, now you just start racking up these XP bonuses, and it's almost like they sort of start, like, stacking and scaffolding so that, you know, if you if you manage to, like, stay alive and really man that wall, um, you are just going to farm the shit out of that wall, uh, you know, pretty beautifully if you can just stay alive. Uh, the, you know, that's the hard part, but it, it was pretty great having these moments where, you know, I'd be I'd be seeing you know my team sort of giving ground on the right flank. I you know loop around you know several buildings so I didn't get picked off on the way. Come out into a new cover position. Rest of the enemy team would be sort of lined up like ducks in a row, and you get the you know that series like four or five machine gun bursts, and you know you just you know once again you just turn the tide of the battle. Uh, you know that that does that sort of stuff does reward you with a lot of experience, and uh, you know more importantly. It it does, I guess, sort of reward reward you for keeping an eye on the bigger tactical picture, uh, which, you know, again, like a lot of maybe a little more like smaller scale and faster paced shooters really don't do that. Uh, this is a game that situational awareness is uh, so so valuable. I've been surprised at how uh, fast Planet Side Two feels compared to the original Planet Side. Like you mentioned, this isn't Call of Duty. But I got to say, when I'm running through a base and I bring up my iron sight and I drop a dude and, and I'm moving on to the next guy, like it actually feels very quick. Uh, th- this doesn't this isn't the sort of stately pace that I remember the original planet side having. But you do end up with a lot of um, if you've got a certain amount of people on each side, you will end up with a stalemate in a lot of places. Um, like mm-hmm. I've had sieges go on um, for larger bases, which have been pretty epic, especially when you've got things like jump pads and teleporters getting you into biolabs. Um, where you've got these sort of four-tiered um, battles going on with a aerial fight, a, a fight in the biolabs with infantry, and then a, an armored assault on the bottom with then all these um, satellite stations around it all having little battles in them as well. It's kind of insane the amount of scale going on. And that's actually an interesting thing that I've been feeling while, as I've been playing. It, it's it's sort of it's sort of more fun to be in a stalemate for me in Planet Side Two than to be winning. If that mm. makes sense, um, and, and I, you know, I distinguish that from how I feel in TF2. It feels fun to win in TF2 to, to, to sort of like knock people out and, and just steamroll, likewise in Counter Strike. Um, but for some reason, like the sort of the sort of like time that a stalemate builds for you to iterate on tactics, to make to change your decisions, to change your class, to like bring in new vehicles, to try and influence and and shift things is really, really fun to me. And it's, it's been a lot more fun than the sort of the, you know, the massive mobs we've described that crawl over capture points and just sort of, you know, they would inevitably capture it uh, if you were there or not. 
And this is also where it starts to feel a bit more like a, a more tactically uh, rewarding game, because what's going on in the stalemates, and this is the, this is the weirdest thing about Planetside for me. Again, it is like you're in RTS, except there, it's it's an anarchistic RTS where there's no one actually in charge. It's like if all the units were sort of making their own decisions, which basically they are. And so you're sitting there in these stalemates, and you know, there's going to be a point where, like, you know, your, you know, your team is trying to break into a base one way, or the enemy team is trying to storm your base one certain way, and it's this race between who's going to make the decisions, basically who's going to stumble on the decisions that are going to break the battle one way or the other. Yeah. You know, who's going to say, okay, you know, screw this, I'm spawning a Sunderer um, over here in this flanking position, and we're going to go up, you know, through the through the heart of the base and come up behind these guys. Uh, who's going to bring in the massive air assault uh, to blast the landing pad clear and then storm in with ground troops. And someone's eventually going to make that decision. Someone's eventually going to hit on that. Uh, a group of people are going to cooperate and change what's happening in the battle. And it's this kind of, it's the, it's this kind of race to see which team uh, sort of breaks from uh, repetition first. And that's really kind of exciting to be part of. Yeah, and the um, example you mentioned there of spawning a thunder and setting it up, it's, I think that's almost like the biggest tactical decision you can make, and it's weird because you place the thunderer um, and you turn it to a spawn point, and it's like you've unleashed a torrent um, of your own troops that just start pouring out of this thing. Um, and, and it's like that's, that's the, the point that you could, that's the um, sort of hammer you've placed on the, the weak point, if you place it in the right point, that can completely crack the whole thing open. Yeah, that feeling of, of seeing players pop out is sort of this really unique like force of nature feeling. I mean, it, you're not really experiencing... I mean, in, in conventional shoes, you're, you're really experiencing players as individuals, right? You know, yeah. You're thinking about the guy on the opposite, opposite team that killed you last round. You have this sort of small rivalry that you're building or he's dominating you. There, there's a narrative there that's building. It feels very personal, right? But you don't know the guy on your left and your right in Planet Side 2. It's, it's really a unique feeling. And I'm glad you bring up the Sunderer, too. We actually... um. We posted a story on our site today, just sort of this quick PSA, like, hey, Sunderers are awesome. They're, they, they're, <laughs> they're what breaks stalemates, stalemates in Planetside 2. And they actually have this... Um, you guys have probably experienced these sort of, like, shield door standoffs. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's sort of going to change as, as players learn the game more and learn more about the base mechanics. But basically, there are these, like, one-way defensive shields... Um, in, in various parts of bases, but, you know, there are these, like, big energy walls, basically, that the attackers cannot shoot into, but the defenders can shoot out of. And right now, just because, you know, players don't really necessarily know how to, you know, where to go to disable the generator to in order to get in, you see these sort of, like, these are sort of the bad standoffs, <laughs> the bad stalemates, where the, the attackers are just sitting on the, on the outside waiting for people to come out and, and whatnot. But, again, yeah, the in order to break this up, a good a good tactic and an interesting tactic, I think, is there's this item that you can equip for the Sunderer called a Gate Shield Diffuser, <laughs> which, which grants it the unique ability, and this is you know, the only thing in the game that can do this, where you, know, you turn this on for 8 or 10 seconds, and you can go through that shield with a transport and then you know, either run people over or deploy it as, as a, you know, a temporary spawn point and just you know, snap, the, snap sort of the momentum that the enemy team had. That's something I haven't seen, but I'm, I really like the idea of. Do you buy that ability with the certification yeah. points or the? Yeah. Okay, okay, that's maybe the other thing to talk about a little bit with this game. Uh, it, it, it's got an interesting, it's got an interesting model. I, you know, I'm sure that what we're seeing right now is not the final version of whatever this economy is going to be. 
Uh, you know, again, it's launch week. And so they're probably going to tune it a bit more. How have you guys, though, found the, um, you know, sort of upgrading your characters, your your various characters? I think, by and large, it's too stingy um, with the unlocks. They're, they're all a little bit too expensive. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's it's not generous at all. Um, and, I mean, I, I think it's it's totally fair criticism for the Sunderer, for example. You know, I got in this situation where, you know, I saw people deploying it and I... It was sort of my, my time to bring out a Sunder, and I got excited about the opportunity to deploy it, and I knew the right spot. And I discovered that despite it being like a default keybind, I had to pay 50 certification points to unlock the ability to deploy it, which is actually like a, a pretty fair chunk. I mean, yeah. that might take Wow, you, you're uh, kidding. Yeah, that could be about you. an hour's worth, at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wait, so to deploy, you mean turn it into basically a mobile field base? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's not stock. Um, so that was kind of frustrating. I mean, there are some sort of examples like that. I mean, like you know, scopes that you, or optics that you purchase for a certain weapon don't cross over to another similar weapon that uses the same scope. Um, yeah, it, right now it's it's certainly balanced to be a, like, multi-year game that you play, I, I guess I'd say. Yeah, which is odd when you compare it to, when it feels something like Battlefield and you play that and you unlock stuff every every two or three lives. It's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, certainly an odd feeling to be in a grind. Well, I I don't even like it in Battlefield uh, yeah. so much, just because it's it, you know it's not it's not so much that you get this like huge advantage. Well, no, you, you kind of do get a huge advantage when you just get all you know all this extra kit uh, because you got so again so many more options. And I you know I hated it in Battlefield when basically like the engineer class uh, you had to grind it up uh, to be effective at anything. Uh, and and I get a little frustrated here as well. Uh, where I think it's, it's not. Tip, like by and large that bad here like a lot of the weapons are um, horizontal unlocks rather than vertical ones but the the big difference is there's stuff like the AMS for the Sunderer which lets you deploy it and also stuff like rocket pods for the um, fighter jets which just seems yeah. to turn them into horrific death machines um, when you don't have them it's kind of useless but when you do it suddenly becomes the best vehicle in the game. How much money like cash money would you need to spend to, to unlock like the Sunder thing and the rocket pods. Um, the Sunder thing is you can't unlock with money. I don't think. I think it's purely a certification thing. But the rocket. But you pods, can buy uh, boosts, right? Yeah, you can buy boosts. Yeah, and and those boosts enhance your experience gain, which is actually separate from certification yeah. points technically, but it's tied to certification points. So every, I believe it's every 250 experience points you get, you get one cert point, and like weapon specifically. So this is, it's kind of an intricate system, but it's worth mentioning. Like. So say I'm using a, a certain light machine gun. If I, you know, there are basically tiers of certification points that I'll get. If I get 10 kills, 20 kills, 100 kills, I'm getting X amount of certification reward medals um, for each of those tiers, basically. But I mean, I, I guess in general, like looking at the system at large, um, the the sort of effect for me right now, because it's relatively stingy, you know, again compared to most modern shooters, and at at, at the moment there's no way to sort of refund your your cert points, certainly. Um, or respect. The effect of that for me is it's really discouraging me from being a jack of all trades, which I'm not happy with. So, yeah, for example, like, you know, last night we were playing, I was playing with a bunch of our, our PC gamer community and, and some of our writers and stuff. And we, you know, we we're going to get into a galaxy. And I play the game as more than anybody else that was in my squad. And I said, okay, you know, let me spawn it. I'm going to, I'm going to spend some cert points to make our galaxy better because I want to just naturally protect our friends. I want to put some more armor on it or something or put a different gun in there. And, um, you know, I had to, like, in invest this just to sort of, like, bring us up to uh, what I thought was an acceptable level. Um, 
And, you know, those are certain points that could have gone to, like, getting further down the tree, adding, adding more ammo capacity for my sniper rifle and things like that. So it, it's it's definitely a game that's discouraging me right now from focusing on a, a single class, um, which is what I, what I need to do in the long term to, to compete, I think. Are you looking at it from the perspective of a player who just does the free-to-play and doesn't put any money in? Because, so I mean, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of the, that's the big question that, that isn't being asked in this conversation, and not just this one, but generally when we're comparing a free-to-play game like Planetside 2 with a game like Battlefield uh, 3, for example, that we paid 50-plus dollars for um, to actually get in in the first place. You know, like with Planetside 2, that feeling of being confined and having to spend cert points on specific trees and not able to be a jack-of-all-trades, is does that feeling go away if you drop $20 on the game? Slightly. I don't think... I don't have a good sense of the, the scale. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm actually... A, uh, I, I haven't leveraged it yet, but I'm mm-hmm. actually a Planetside 2 founder, so I drop uh, 30 bucks or something when it was beta, and I've got uh, X amount of space bucks I can spend to buy in-game stuff. I What I don't know yet is how far that's actually going to take me. It, it does have me a bit worried to think if I put 30 real dollars in, which gets this up to pretty close to a full-price game... If that's still, by the time I'm done spending that, if I'm still feeling like a bunch of options are closed off to me, that's going to suck. It's kind of making me hesitate. And this is the weird place you end up with in free-to-play games. Because on the one hand, we talked about this a a very little bit on the Gamers with Jobs uh, conference call uh, this week, is, is that... You know, on the one hand, this game is free. You didn't have to pay anything for it, and you are getting to take part in these huge continent-spanning, you know, basically wars. Uh, in a lot of ways, this is kind of the game that my friends and I would sit around the lunch table in high school and be like, wouldn't it be cool if this is that game, uh, you know, where you're all out there fighting a war together. That's 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 pretty great. But in a weird way, like, because it's so stingy and because it's kind of got this... um you know, Byzantine progression system, and it, it kind of seems like you've got to be super careful with what you unlock because that's going to have a huge, like, you know, impact on what you can actually do in the game. It makes me start to really get hesitant about spending anything on the game because it seems like this is a system that can make it really easy for me to feel like I just basically got nothing for my money. Yeah, I think that's a um, a worry. Certainly, I, I've put a little bit of money into it, and it's it's only on me a little a little bit, and it feels like I should have got more for my money. Um, and I think that's something they're going to have to be very careful with in the future. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, they actually, I, I believe they close to double the rate at which you gain cert um, right before launch. You know, right at the yeah, but they the also data. doubled most of the price of the guns <laughs> at the same mm, time. Yeah, it's and <laughs> honestly, but like, it feels like progress. <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the way the guns are, are priced right now in terms of real money currency and cert currency, they're priced to be bought with real money. I mean, a lot of the guns are, I believe, a thousand cert. So yeah. just to give you a concept of, of what that's like, I've played 30 hours of the game and, you know, I've got like a 1.8 KD or something. And I'm, I've, I think I've got about about a thousand right now. Um, and that's you know a long weekend, a holiday weekend, and a couple more oh my days. God. So that's a gun. They're they're not realistically yeah. priced. And you know, you know, frankly, I don't know. I, I object to that. I'm I'm gonna sort of wait and see before I make a final judgment on that. But frankly, you know, SOE thinks of free players, you know, players that aren't giving them money as content. They're content. You know, they're they're the guys you shoot at, and they're the guys that shoot it back at you. So they're providing them some value, and they've priced the game to be, you know, to make money off of the players that are going to spend a lot. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of the model right now. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you build a game and 95% of your play base doesn't put any or very little money in. And then you've got 5% that are total whales who will just buy everything. <laughs> so I, like, I, I, do, I do wonder what their actual available pool is. Like if I was a crazy person, how much cash would I need to dump into the money pit in order to unlock everything? It would, it like would that, be, that's something I would love to crunch. Um, oh, man. That would be too much money. And since it's reliant on boosts, there's no guaranteed return, right? Um, well, you can directly buy quite a lot of the stuff. No, um, yeah, okay. Mostly not upgrades, but you can buy guns. That, that, that was the, that's the interesting thing about boosts in games like this, because like playing Tribes Ascend, you know, I'd, I'd put a little bit of money in and I'd get like a one week worth of experience boost. And all of a sudden I come home and I think, well, got to roll up my sleeves and get to work because this boost yeah. ain't going to boost itself, damn it. And I got to go and play <laughs> now. And even when I don't feel like it and I have a headache, but I don't want to waste my money, you know, so it's, <laughs> it, it definitely can be a bummer. Well, I like what um, Turbine did with uh, DDO where you buy boosts and the boost doesn't, like the timer on the boost doesn't tick down when you're not in the game playing. Uh, so, th- so, so that's a nice feature. Uh, and, and hopefully that would be... Uh, standard yeah but, but it, i doubt it yes yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, psychologically yeah. beneficial for them not to do that that's true it's just it, but it, it does make it tough because you know again like so i sort of compare it to like a game like league of legends uh which in many ways i think has also easier uh ch- challenge for balancing free to play versus monetization because uh, the the champions themselves are, are such clear-cut assets and mm-hmm. sort of having this big rotating cast um, there's always stuff for free players to do, and there's variety for them. Uh, but you know, if you really want to get serious, you've got to start unlocking things and making them a permanent part of your collection. Uh, and how you do that's up to you. Th- this game, I-, I kind of feel like it doesn't. It doesn't have that. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah, it just lacks that sort of uh, confidence-inspiring aspect where it's like, oh, you know, I like I can easily create a wide variety of experiences uh, for me to have here uh, just, you know, with these classes. You know, for me right now, the experience is very much, you know, you get your vanilla sniper, vanilla rifleman, vanilla heavy, whatever, and you just grind with those. I think um, I wouldn't want to sell it that short, though, because you have got six classes and something like seven or eight vehicles i mean that's still a pretty wide range of stuff to mess around with um yeah even though you haven't got a a huge amount of variety in each of those you've still got a large amount of variety at your fingertips for free but you know so one of the other things i want to talk talk about though is you know in a lot of ways uh planet side does sort of seem to deliver on a lot of uh attempts we've seen over the years to create virtual wars on pc uh, basically, and uh, you know, I, I think back to when you know one of the earliest experiments in this uh, was uh, a game I think called World War II Online, uh, you know, which sort of promised to basically be this massively multiplayer, uh, you know, recreation of World War II, where everyone is just a grunt on the ground, um, running around and you know fighting Rommel in the desert uh, side by side, and you know, obviously. For that era, and this was around like the turn of the millennium, that was that was a colossal failure. Uh, but you know, it was, it was a first attempt to sort of create, uh, a, you know, an actual war that you and your friends could play. And I, I do feel like, uh, you know, Planet Side 
in a lot of ways is is, is sort of uh, building on what the Battlefield franchise uh, sort of discovered was the successful way to create a you know huge sprawling team oriented military shooter. Yeah, it definitely has a you know a similar feel. If you want to really generalize, you could call it Battlefield in space. Um, but in terms of the the engagement ranges, the the situations you get in, the weapon feel. Um, the, the optics and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very familiar and it's, it's built on that, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think um, as as much as that's true, it's it's trying to the, the seamlessness of the world is something that you can't necessarily underestimate. It's it's so um, massive, and you get this just overwhelming sense of scale when you're playing it that is not present in any Battlefield game that I played. Um, and I, I'm not I'm not sure I'd just write that off as that's just the thing that exists and therefore it increases the game. I think it's, it's enough to elevate it above um, something like Battlefield um, in that scale at least. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of... I mean, we should take a moment to sort of appreciate the task of balancing and design they've done with this game where in fairly subtle ways, other than these like giant red and, and you know multicolored energy shields that tell you you can't go somewhere and things like that, yeah. Um, you know, they've, they've designed infantry, air, and ground in kind of into specific areas. I mean, there are definitely, like, infantry-centric areas of the map that are open air that, you know, have have sort of narrow corridors and things like that. And tanks can still kind of influence those areas and, and interact. They're not closed off to them. But, you know, the way that they've, they've, they've sort of intricately balanced the game where a tank can't, like, kind of sit in this specific position and lob munitions and and you know destroy a spawn point or something i mean that's a huge task i mean you're just you're designing a game from you know with with sort of like 360 uh, approach angles in mind vectors in mind for three factions <laughs> i mean let's mm-hmm. let's sort of take a moment to appreciate that and also i mean on, on the note of three factions something i'm i'm enjoying is just just sort of from a strategic point of view from sort of a, a top level strategic point of view there's a disincentive to sort of move toward the middle of the map where you're more likely to be surrounded and, and sort of sandwiched between both enemies. And actually, like, on Indar specifically, have you guys fought on the, the, the middle of the map? There's a structure called, the, this region called the Crown. Yeah. God. I, oh, I was God. about to swear, but quite heavily. It's, you should. It's, it's amazing. Like, it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the most frustrating... I mean, it goes, goes back to sort of my appreciation of stalemates in the game here. It's, it's this incredibly tall mesa that sort of at the at the south end is just sort of a straight vertical driveway like a, a dirt ramp going in with high cliffs on either side and at the, at the north end you know these are the only entr- two entrances basically by by foot or by vehicle it's this sort of snaking s curvy you know canyon cliff um all the way up to the precipice and it's so hard to take it's it's so it's it's so defender friendly it's it's classic like high ground versus low ground combat siege and um I don't know. It's it's kind of wonderful to, to pass by that and see the activity and see how it's going. The, is the is the structure itself built on top of it? Is that also the sort of a crazy multi-tier structure with lots of uh, the uh, up-down elevators? It's not. It's not. Okay. I think you're referring to a biolab, which is sort of the the okay. you know might be somewhere shield, else shielded yeah. terraformed interior. But it, yeah, it's just sort of like a canyon yeah. with a sort of a smaller medium-sized base on top. But uh, it's it's brutal. I, I've seen just multi-hour. Mm. sieges there that go unsuccessful I'm, I'm guessing you have as well phil yeah yeah no it's uh, we actually um i think it was two nights ago we we ended up getting cut off in the crown um 
where all of our adjacency got taken away so we were completely stranded and there was about mm -hmm. 30 of us staying there and we managed to hold it for about four hours until we got adjacency oh back and the, we had a massive armored assault come in and roll that in and save amazing. us it was just incredible it was like a yeah it was a sort of last down situation that. yeah it was just amazing totally and I'm glad we're, we're sort of, I think what we're touching on here is like over time, these areas are going to build up meaning and significance. Yeah. We're going to sort of develop a better language for the game as players. And that's definitely something I'm looking forward to culturally. You know, I think you make a really good point too, just about the, the task of balancing, uh, you know, this game and sort of designing it to allow players to have all these diverse experiences on a map where, you, yeah, as designers, you have, you have so much less control over the flow of action across the map than you do uh, in a traditional shooter. Because, yeah, you can have a team basically drive past your objective the normal way and then park asunder somewhere completely out, out of the blue and create a new attack vector. Uh, and, you know, how do you, how do you prepare for that? And yet what works really well is... You know, I'm, well, I'll make the comparison here to other sort of, uh, you know, vehicle-based military shooters. There are always those maps that, you know, come up in the rotation where you're like, oh, shit, it's a tank map or something like that. Where you just, you know, you, you, you know the moment it spawns, the moment the map comes up, you know what the battle's going to be. And if, you know, if that's not the battle you want to fight, um, then you're just kind of screwed. Uh, and I, and I kind of feel that um, Red Orchestra 2 could be like this as well. Uh, where, you, where there's this sharp dichotomy between vehicle maps and, uh, you know, infantry maps. And so if you were more of an infantry guy, and really I think that's kind of the meat of the game, uh, you know, it, it, never did, it never did combined arms really well. But here, you have these situations where you have, you have these terrain types where tanks are much less effective, but they are still usable. It just requires, you know, finding the right furrows in the ground to sort of drive the little bastard along and get into a decent firing position. And then there are also the opening plane, open planes where the infantry basically have to travel in vehicles uh, to get across if there's a battle happening there. And I do think that's that's really cool that so many different, you know, that the balance shifts based on based on terrain, but it never necessarily becomes uh, rote what's going to happen at a battle. I think one of the things that I've been most um, pleased with is just it seems like they've created the terrain and then just decided where would be the best defensible positions and then plopped down... Um, the bases on each of those positions because it's I think rather than relying on carefully designing each level they've just relied on the way humans act, attack terrain um, and that it certainly feels very natural in the way that that works in that you can use high ground to your advantage and you can use hill cover and you can use trees and everything it just it just works um, on a very common sense level which is kind of surprising so one game that I never played that much of, but I've, I've sort of been wondering if, if this comparison is apt. Um, you know, when I when I first saw this and I saw some of the vehicles hovering around and people sprinting towards each other's bases and hover tanks and everything, I actually flashed back to um, the old Activision uh, Battlezone. Uh, you know, not the arcade game, but the uh, sort of RTS remake that Activision did. Uh, God, I have no idea when this was. Uh, I want to say it was around 1998, uh, give or take, uh, because uh, that that was the first time I built a computer for myself as an 18 year old <laughs> with a sweet eight meg Voodoo two card in it. Oh, uh, so yeah. so based on the computer gaming world five star rating, that was the game I bought, and it was amazing. It, it, <laughs> Battle Battlezone uh, 
was an incredible game. Unfortunately, the sequel was kind of a dog, uh, but Battlezone for its time, uh, even now, uh, holds up very well. It, it really gave you a great sense of place, uh, and, and it really gave you a great sense of being grounded and inside the battle, kind of like you feel with Planet Side 2, while still giving you a really good sense of overall control of the battlefield, which I think Planet Side 2, obviously, for obvious reasons, lacks. Yeah, did it? Now, my question is, I mean, did it did it actually work? Because I never, I, I played the demo, and it was, I was basically not a good enough gamer to to manage it. Because uh, you were like twelve was, at the time, or something like that, right? You're well, about twelve. Yeah, give it, it, I think it was mostly just I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't wrap my head around the set of tasks the game was asking of me, yeah. uh, because I could I could sort of like crappily drive my tank, but I could not crappily drive my tank and manage a broader battle. Uh, you know, worth a damn. And yet that seemed to be very much kind of what the game was about was, you know, on the one hand you were in your vehicle, you know, roving around shooting people, but then also you were kind of playing an RTS, right? Oh, uh, completely. You were building bases, you were attacking enemy bases, you were managing your troops. Um, You know, it used a lot of hotkeys, like numbers one through nine, you know, would represent different uh, bases you could build and the game did a really good job at the time of ramping you up um, into like just you've got like a really basic base you're doing but eventually as you went on bases got more complex things like turret placement started to matter more um, and it actually got pretty complex because battle zone it kind of felt a bit like descent um, like the 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 um the space combat game, you know, mm-hmm. where you're kind of in the mines and there's a really strong sense of momentum in Battlefield. The only difference being that uh, in this case, you're on a horizontal plane, like you're hovering on the ground. So you don't quite have to worry about that total 360 degree movement. Uh, but you still really had to think about momentum because when you're if you're strafing and you just let off the gas and put take your hands off the controls, you'll keep drifting for a while. So you actually had to kind of you had to sort of measure that in your mind as you were playing Plus, you're trying to play spaces using uh, just kind of where based on where your cursor is pointing. Plus, you're trying to build uh, tanks and sending them off to go and fight things. It was almost there's almost a bit of Dota to it in a way, because you're just basically (laughs) building stuff and sending it off at the enemy base. And then you're running around and doing your own thing, you know, And, and so you're kind of you're you're taking your action hat in your RTS hat, and you're swapping them just constantly, like every 30 seconds. Um, it was it was a pretty stunning achievement for the time, and and frankly, um, it hasn't really been replicated well, except maybe in games like Sacrifice comes close. What about stuff like um, Carry Command? I haven't played that myself. Neither have I, and I was I was quite kind of loath to, to bring oh, it up, but it certainly looks like. Is this a Bohemia game? Um, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I so I hear that it was a kind of a shit show when it launched, at least. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but I also heard there's a major, pa- you know, it's it, it's the Bohemia story, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, launch was rough. Um, but it isn't. I think the um, sorry, I just um, Sean mentioned Dota there, and I think that's an interesting parallel to draw between that and Planet Side Two, in that it's the same kind of tactics, except um, because you don't have control over the other people in, when you're playing Dota, and you don't have control over the other people when you're playing Planet Side. it's just people tend to listen to you a little bit more when you're playing Dota than when you're playing Planet Side. Um, but it's still that sort of trying to harness um, another will, uh, which is, I think it's quite an odd feeling when you're trying to do strategy, but it's certainly something that I've become to enjoy more and more. Maybe maybe it's just because I'm I'm so early in my experience with it. I mean, I played a lot of the original Planet Side, but Planet Side Two even more than the original. 
it's not so much to me the the challenge isn't harnessing it's almost more like going limp and letting the rapids carry me because <laughs> yeah when like like you if if you've ever i don't know if you've seen that world war z um movie trailer you know and it's got all of these uh these zombies like just they're fast running zombies and they're running at a wall and they're climbing over each other and basically creating this anthill of zombies as they're mm. trying to slowly get to the top there's no intelligence there it's just this huge mob mentality playing planet side two and i'm outside a base and we're all attacking the base and then it flips and all of a sudden all the force fields are down watching all of my fellow players just go boiling into a building and just like <laughs> it's it's it no longer becomes this like let we're having a tactical experience it's just like this ravening mob everybody's trying to scrape the last kill out of the bottom of the ice cream bucket <laughs> uh, basically well, before they move on to the next base oh, totally. if, if, if you read your history i mean when a citadel would fall that's basically what it was yeah. Uh, yeah. so i guess it does i, I guess we're having medieval war here rather than yeah. um, modern war which is ironic when it's um sci-fi yeah the, the only thing the game doesn't have is the pillage i suppose yeah. um it's but certainly it's, not sophisticated um, in the way that we're playing. <laughs> Frankly, Rob, the fact you haven't played Battlezone is bumming me out. I, I'm <laughs> going to find a way to make this run on a modern system, and, and I'm going to fly down Chicago, and I'm going to hold a gun to your head until you play it. Cause, well, Chicago won't help you, my friend. Oh, shit. You're not. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was thinking of other people. Uh, I'd like to hold a gun to their head, too. But um, <laughs> but uh, but Battlezone is a game that's aged incredibly well. Um, and not only that, it's singular. There hasn't really been a game that's given you that sense of being in the action and also giving you control. Um, it's 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 really a, an amazing title for that. The, the only problem, of course, is that the, the multiplayer is basically just deathmatch. Right. Oh, so it's just drive around your tanks. Yeah, it's drive around in your tank. And the, the the only cool part about it is you can get out of your tank and you can actually snipe a dude and kill him and then take his tank. Okay. It's just really hard. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that 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 does sound that does sound really cool and it, it is sort of one of those things that um you know, I hear that and I think that that would be fantastic, but it does it it sort of feels like uh, you know, games like Planet Side are kind of as close as you're going to get to it now. Of course, I'm, I say this. You know, I, I should play uh, Carrier Command, I suppose, and and give that a try. Uh, you know, just because apparently that is working in the same in the same territory. Yeah, I mean, the, the other omission that we haven't talked about here is um, Natural Selection Two. That's another 2012 game. Yeah, that's going to And another another kind of rare FPS built on a engine, you know, an original engine, uh, which is terrific in itself but yeah i mean that 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 game has sort of an interesting approach to you know we were talking about player motivation and and sort of you know commanding your, your team and things like that so natural selection 2 is sort of you know aliens versus predator style game if you haven't heard of it and um asymmetrical gameplay one team is playing as aliens with like you know multiple classes different abilities you can climb on walls you can go invisible and stuff like that and the other team is playing as the marines and but both teams have this commander role where within you within your base you can get into this little pod basically and act as the commander you can you know place turrets you can sort of deploy med kits uh, throughout throughout the um the level for your teammates to pick up you can deploy ammo you can tell tell your teammates to you know build a certain structure over here and things like that and you're spending these these accumulated resources that your teammates are earning by you know killing enemies and whatnot yeah, it's um, what's especially interesting is that it's managed to create asymmetry in the commander role as well, with the um, marine commander sort of trying to blitz the whole map with um, structures and everything, whereas the alien commander tries to place these 
infest, um, infestation cysts, which sort of spread this gloop um, across the map, and you're sort of slowly yeah. creeping your way across the map to fill it so up. So it's like Zerg versus Marines. Yeah, exactly. it is a lot like yeah. that, um, and it's it's brilliant because you get this behind the behind the scenes look as the commander, whereas the um, Marines are sort of creeping through this horrific um, green mess where they can cool. be around any corner. Um, but but the Marines are actual humans. Yeah, everyone's mm-hmm. a player. Um, okay. It's such an interesting experience in that game. Just, I mean, there's no, I mean, in, in a game like Team Fortress 2 or Battlefield, for example, you have some sort of system telling you you have to capture, you know, capture point D. You have to go stand in this mm. arbitrary point and do this. And, you know, that works in those games. But in Natural Selection 2, it's it's always a commander sort of giving you your intrinsic motivation. And it, it just, it's it's an interesting experience to, it, it just feels so so separate. And, and it's it's curious to me like how how willing i am to listen to this random person on the internet's instructions and trust them trust their instruction because they have this om- omniscient point of view uh compared compared to my sort of you know at, at ground level tunnel vision well that's something so so you do find in your games people actually will sort of listen to the cues of the commander if they're good yeah i, I think um for the majority of the people even the newbies will tend to listen to them because it's it's that whole thing of um in a vacuum any noise is loud in the you don't have any guidance, so as soon as you're given even the slightest bit, you'll just go for it. Um, which is somewhat true in Planets I do, but it's not as much because there's not many people playing the Commander role. But yeah, it's as soon as you get an order, you will follow it for the most part, or you at least consider it, <laughs> which is more than can be said yeah. for most. It, it's a really interesting experiment, sort of outsourcing decision-making and execution. Um, I mean, you really feel in that game, you, you don't have to do quite as much thinking. You're sort of free to just act and free to, like, you know, execute and think about the the raw details of, you know, being accurate with your gun, you know, being good with the grenades, attacking at the right time, and just sort of listening to instruction. It, it's, you know, I, I would encourage you guys to check it out if you're looking for a shooter with, with those sorts of ideas. It really works well for, for people that can, you know, play within a, a small community or something, have sort of the same four or five guys that they play games with. And it's it's very influenced by StarCraft, honestly. I mean, we mentioned the, the creep mechanic that's basically right out of StarCraft. But you know they've also been trying to get into esports. They they've been doing uh, natural selection, which is uh, created by Unknown Worlds here in San Francisco. They you know they do like esports broadcasting on the weekends and stuff. They've been appearing at uh, Dream Hacks and things like that. So yeah, it's it's kind of a true hybrid in that sense. I think. What are you using for resources, by the way? Like, are there resources that are meaningful? Yeah, um, there are resource points that you have to build um, harvest nodes on. Both, both they they both share resource points. Um, so you're fighting over these common points that you're trying to grab, as well as um, secondary and tertiary command posts, um, which means that if your main base gets taken out, you'll still have a second base to to fall back to. Um, so yeah, everyone's got resource points, and those are you have team resource points and individual resource points. So your commander will be spending team resource points on um, buildings, and then you can spend your individual resource points to become a better alien or get an exosuit as a marine. Oh shit! I th- this show's on the wrong topic. I should have <laughs> played that just selection. No, uh, that that sounds really interesting, though. It is um, incredibly interesting. Yeah, I'm amazed that. Let me ask you. So, commander roles exist in certain versions of the battlefield games, right? Yep. Do yeah. people listen to those? Do they work as well? It just it's a will it's, it's a question of willingness you know and, and and I think that the best ones will incentivize you to follow the orders give you a little experience bump if you can complete an objective your commander commanders put before you but for the most part like in battlefield my experience with the commanders is they were the guys who dropped bombs on the map and you hope they're not <laughs> dropping them on you 
it's it's an interesting thing with PlanetSide One when you had um, each server had sort of trusted commanders and untrusted commanders because um, because it's an MMO and you have people playing it day in and day out. You will get people who are who you know 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 what they're doing and you know don't know what they're doing. Um, and I think we're gonna like hopefully that will happen in PlanetSide Two because having a recognizable commander who who can direct the the flow of the hive um, hive mind would definitely be something that will improve the game. Yeah, that's you know to to your point about sort of uh, you know riding the current, Sean. That's definitely it's this it's this weird thing. It's this weird game you end up playing in PlanetSide Two, and I guess you how you play it also depends on how many people are with you. But this so you know maybe the most fundamental decision you have to make is whether you're going to go with the flow, you know, go with the swarm. Or start trying to pick at something that is maybe being overlooked and hope that you can get something going over there. I think uh, a game like Planet Side 2, I don't know the Planet Side 2 will kind of hit this mark, but uh, when I think about the AI director in uh, Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, you know, the idea that there's this AI that sits and watches this director that kind of directs the action depending on what the players are doing or they're lingering too long. Well, let's throw some more zombies at him to keep him get him moving again. Um, thinking about the way AI can give direction, it brings to mind Brink, which isn't a game that really gained a lot of traction, but Brink had this really great feature where it is a just a team deathmatch multiplayer objective-based sort of uh, online game, but it had this AI that would just feed the players objectives that were specific to what was going on in in, in the circumstance, uh, depending on where the map was at, what objectives have been taken. So if I picked a certain class and I was on a map, the, the AI, AI may pop up and say, hey, maybe you should go and do this right now. Go and blow this door or go and attack this generator or whatever else. I would love to see something like that in PlanetSide 2. I don't necessarily want to have to hope that the player at the at the controls is a smart player and is paying attention to what I'm doing and is making the right calls. I'd love to see PlanetSide 2 uh, or a game like it have an AI that can actually, uh, if I choose to opt in, give me some direction, like give me an idea, like what can I go do right now? Like what's an objective I could do that you haven't assigned to 50 other people yet? You know, like that that kind of thing I think would really help give me a sense of, of direction. And, and it could also be kind of a like a training wheels of sort because eventually you can kind of get a sense of the flow and say, okay, you know what, AI, that's cool, but I got it. You know, I'm gonna, I know what I need to do now. Yeah, you know, it almost has that with like the instant action thing in Planet Side, where you can sort of adjust your spawn and like you know redeploy, and you can go to places where basically battle is happening right now. Uh, but you don't like it doesn't give you any detail about what's going on there. It could be instant action, and it could be giving you an instant ass kicking, and there's no reason to show up there. <laughs> uh, I almost wish there was like a bulletin board back at base, you know, like well we're defending, you know the. You know, biotics facility, the 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 you know biological facility over here, and uh, you know we're outnumbered, you know forty to forty to twenty five there, uh, or we are making a push here, and we've got an advantage of you know eighteen to twelve. Uh, that that'd be pretty nice if you could if it sort of gave you a sense for what these battles actually were, but instead you just sort of show up, and yeah, there's so much going on that it can take a little while to sort of read the context of what's going on. And some of those bases are gigantic. I was basically fighting in a castle the other day there were like four different battles happening across yeah. this compound that it took me a while to realize i was fighting in the same battle 
I wonder if there's a concern with giving the players too much information too. Like the idea of having an area and, and them saying there are 40 of your guys and 20 of the bad guys. If it's, if it would create a situation where the pylons get that much more intense. Like, uh, again, one of the things my squad mates were telling me about was like this sense that, you know, when you've got two factions that are fighting, the third faction just kind of rolls in on all these undefended areas and just gobbles up a bunch of territory before anybody really notices what's going on. Like, is there a point where you're giving almost too much information to the mob yeah. uh, and you're and you're kind of, um, you're overemphasizing things. And so, you know, the hive mind just kind of collectively turns and, and all just goes to one spot every time. Yeah, I, I guess that, that that's one reason I, I why I wish there kind of was a commander uh, back at base sort of um, monitoring all this stuff. Although I will say I have seen sometimes a third faction show up at a two at a one on one fight uh, to sort of you know try and roll over, and it has not worked out well for them. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh. there's there's a tendency where you are, you are sticking you know you're sticking your hand in the meat grinder. Yeah, and I think people tend to react more than. Um continue with what they're doing so if they see someone new come up they'll all try and fight him rather than carry on fighting yeah. each other it's a, pr- it's a private fight yeah. it's like you can try to break up a fight in the street or something <laughs> you know i i sorry i just had this sense like because rob you've been following a lot of esports i really wonder it would be really interesting in a game in, in like planet side 2 where it's not really just some random player who has excelled you know kind of almost uh you know uh through a meritocracy to the point where they get to command but instead, like, SOE just says, okay, this pro gamer is the commander for this faction for this week or this month or whatever. And, and you can actually develop personalities. They can talk, like, in public spaces about strategies and how they're going to respond to things. And, like, you know, and, and give actually, like, each faction this human focal point. You know, and people can rally behind their commander and, and follow their commands and everything else. I actually kind of like the idea of, like, this uh, a personality developing and directing the action. That's occurred to me. I I kind of love the idea as well, actually, where like you could have your faction's Rommel, you know, where it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, oh shit, Evan Evan is commanding the Vanu this week. Yeah, he's an asshole, but you know what? <laughs> he screwed. gets shit done. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there there are there are sort of like different mutations of this in, in a slight sense. I mean, Eve Online is probably the most open and and, and free version of this, right? Where they have a player council, even yeah. know, obviously with, with, within their corporations and. They just kind of, for the most part, for you know, 99% of the time, they're just kind of letting the players do what they want and develop their own culture. Uh, MechWarrior Online is approaching this in kind of an interesting way. They are going to have a territory control metagame called Community Warfare implemented sometime next year. And it's funny because, you know, if you know anything about um, Battletech lore, which is always an interesting subject, um, you have this, like, inner sphere faction. It's made up of, you know, eight or ten different um, sort of clans. Not the actual clans. Uh, but you're already fucking factions. it up. Okay, I'm sorry. They're not, they're not clans. I shouldn't use that word. Factions, sub-factions, whatever. Um, but what they're, what they're planning to do, what they told me was that the developers are going to drive the strategy initially for, for folks like, you know, Curita and House Davian and things like that. They're going to sort of say, House Davian wants to capture these planets. There's going to be, you know, I don't know, hundreds of planets within the Community Warfare map. Um, but eventually they want to hand it off to sort of you know, some some member, some some sort of uh, player leadership for each of those factions, which is really interesting. And separate to that, they're going to have mercenary cores that are completely player driven and player owned. I, I love the idea, and, and and that was definitely a thought as I was uh, you know flying over the the 
flying over the land in, in Planetside 2 today was this feeling like this is pretty cool and I like jumping out of the ship and I've got a jetpack and that's kind of cool. I'd like it more if I was a mad cat and I was, you know, deploying out and I was assaulting the space as a mech. Like, I think that would be really awesome. Uh, MechWarrior Online, the way it stands right now, it's it's basically a bunch of deathmatch maps. Like, I'm really interested to see what happens when they say, okay, now we're, we're branching out. Now this is this big um, battle. Is it going to be, okay, now you're going to battle on this planet, which has team deathmatch map number four which you've played on that planet and that planet and that planet and you're just collecting points like like yeah. how how varied is this going to be like how epic is this going to feel right like, and what you want are those locations like you were talking about uh, earlier evan and phil where you've got those you've got those objectives where when a battle's happening there you know it and you remember it uh you know you have places with personality in their own history whereas yeah just sort of like deciding who which faction is up or down based on this uh you know sort of who wins a best of seven set uh you know on on a series of maps uh, that's a little less satisfying yeah it's, it's it's more gamey it just doesn't have that same it doesn't create the same sort of emergent narrative like some of the planet side 2 stuff you guys are talking about created just by virtue of the way the map is designed and the different approaches to it and, and the sort of player hive mind uh, that goes into that there was one last thing I wanted to uh, ask ask you, Evan, because uh, I know that uh, you married Arma 2 uh, some years ago. I did. And uh, you guys will be celebrating your anniversary soon, in fact. <laughs> um, <laughs> our, our, like eight, our, like, 800-hour anniversary, I'm afraid, yeah. Oh, God. I, I put too much time in. Um, but as I recall, in, in, in uh, plain old Arma 2... The, Maybe I'm misremembering something uh, that I read because I never really, I never really quite got into that game. But I, I feel like there was sort of an overarching war, uh, the mode that you could be fighting in that game with sort of resources and reinforcements as maybe a little more of a metered resource. Yeah, they did attempt that. Um, it, it is something that's in the game. There are you know player created maps you can download for it right now, and it, it does sort of have like a, a base building system where you know you're placing sandbags and stuff like that. You're placing like you know mechanized uh spawn points and things like that or defense turrets and it's cool but you know arma these days is, is basically played by groups of people that want to cooperate um and shoot pretty unintelligent ai but but the game is hard enough and and complex enough that it's it's still really interesting and there's a lot of camaraderie that comes as a result of that so yeah it had that system it didn't really catch on it was pretty complex and a little weird and awkward and constrained by strange rules but yeah are they attempting it again with arma 3 you know i'm not sure um i i definitely haven't seen it in um in any of the demos i've taken i think they're, they're putting different emphasis on on the game um so i'm not sure well if you're gonna marry arma 3 i hope this version isn't uh, quite like 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 Arma 2 was kind of drunk and abusive when it first came out. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a healthy relationship in the beginning. I know it came out on my birthday too, which is even weirder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> June, June 29th. And uh, yeah, it was, meant to be. It yeah. was, um, yeah, you know, Bohemia has, has changed so much. I mean, you think about Daisy, for example, I don't want to go on a tangent about that game necessarily, which would, would be a whole podcast by itself, but they've really grown. Um, both, both by bringing in, you know, I mean this in the most respectful way possible, and bringing in more Western talent and those sorts of ideas and, and just, you know, what Western game designers think about and, and are concerned with. They published a game called uh, Take on Helicopters. They developed that game. Yes. Um, headed up by a game, a guy named uh, Jay, 
Jay Crow. Jay Crow, thank you. Um, who's from the UK? And uh, you know, they're all those him and you know, I'm sure Dean. Dean was originally working on uh, Arma Three. They're all sort of collaborating on Arma Three to make it the best possible game it can be. And yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting story that studio. I mean, they're all the way in the Czech Republic, and they've had this huge sort of mod success. And anyway, I'm, I'm going to keep. I need to stop myself before this this becomes a Daisy train. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta, yeah. I don't want to uh, daisy train it. Um, uh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't give me that look, Sean. <laughs> you're, you're not better than me. Um, no, they, they definitely have had an interesting arc, and they're, they're sort of a studio that, you know, I guess, you know, the reason I asked, I was, I was kind of hoping that. You know they would maybe give uh, you know another try in Arma Three because you know Weird Way Arma always seemed like it had the potential to be uh, a bit like a world in conflict. Um, you know where you know a first person world in conflict uh, where you're, you're fighting these huge modern battles. Um, you know over you know resources and territory and control points uh, as opposed to uh, you know sort of my few experiences with Arma have been uh, sort of fighting the AI where, you know, your biggest enemy can be the interface and figuring out how to uncrowd yeah. yourself. Yeah, and, and it's still that game in, in some circles. I mean, you have folks like Shaktak, um who who, who kind of represent, like, the, the pinnacle of, of Arma right now, I think. If you go check out their videos and Google it, um, where they have mods, for example, that simulate, um, like, radio... Like, radio... Um, like audibility over range. So if I'm like several kilometers away from somebody on a certain frequency, and yes, you can change your frequency on the radio, oh by the way, um, I'm going to hear it garbled. I'm going to hear it simulatedly garbled, <laughs> um, which is, is an incredible thing. Especially the gamers, this modded in. Oh, it's modded in um, through a system called ACE, which is sort of the, the sort of baseline hyper-realism on top of the normal realism in Arma 2. Um, you know, adds like more medical options and things like that in dog tags, for example. But and and actually, you know, just sort of a crossover back to Planetside 2, I love, and just sort of like a commonality between these two games, I love that both games have proximity voice. And it's something yeah. that I, I wish more shooters in general had, more sort of larger scale shooters. Because um, it, it's so nice just to be able to talk to the guy next to you, and it's so practically useful. Right, and you don't want, it, you don't want huge team chat, it's impractical. Uh, and you don't, you know, you don't want to have these huge unwieldy squads, uh, you know, where it's, you know, eight people who barely know each other and, you know, there's icons on your, on your HUD, but yeah, being able to go up to a dude and be like, Hey, I need a medic to watch my back. I got a good firing position. Can you, you know, follow me for a second? And I'm sort of, yeah, I'm curious on that note, like what you guys have experienced in terms of communication playing solo, I guess. Um, cause it's been pretty sparse. I've, you know, throughout my 30 some hours of playing, I might have heard, you know, a dozen moments of like spontaneous people giving orders next to me and things like that. Not at all, but I haven't delved much at all yet. So, I've I've I think I've talked to one other person who hasn't been part of my outfield squad so far, and that was to tell him to get out of my bloody liberator. Um, so I so I went around forlornly asking uh, for uh, a medic, um, and one followed me. Didn't reply. Uh, just sort of came with. Uh, and then I sort of went around being like, ammo? Uh, could someone set up a dispenser? <laughs> I need I need ammo. Uh, and uh, eventually I stumbled across a Sunderer because uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty, it, yeah. People not, people not terribly chatty. Um, yeah. They'll cooperate in a weird way. Like, you know, they, you can tell they're sort of listening, but 
I mean, why do we think that is? Because, I mean, that sort of communication, decision-making, identifying a problem and deciding to solve it as a group, that's what makes the difference in, the, in these fights in Planetside 2. I mean, otherwise you're going to lose or you're just going to perpetuate this conflict um, over a flashpoint or something. I mean... I honestly why? think it's the same thing as I was saying earlier and just people are coming to it as an FPS rather than a, a game that needs communication. Mm -hmm. um, they're playing it like Battlefield rather than, I don't know, whatever they should be playing it like Planetside. Well, they shouldn't even be playing Battlefield that way. Uh, mm. you know, in a weird way, and that's that's the problem with Battlefield Three as well. In fact, is is that you've got, you know, in some of those big maps, they'd work beautifully if people would play the damn game, mm. uh, but you don't quite get that. Do you, do you think that'll change though uh, over time? I, I think that the people that stick with it will. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine people will enjoy running around like a hedge chicken for months. I think eventually you're going to have people who will just have to understand how the game works before continuing. I think that um, I think games like Left Left for Dead that that build in a lot of automatic communication, um, that build in a lot of uh, automatic direction, that sort of takes the place of demanding immediate player interaction, um, is is sort of the wave wave of the future. I think the idea of an AI commander um, also kind of factors into that too. That just sort of it automates some of the behavior in a direction that's sort of. Uh, fellow player facing, I guess you might call it, uh, where it doesn't necessarily demand that me as a player is verbally talking to another player or is, you know, specifically paying attention to what their needs are. Just, you know, give me an objective, give me something that uh, just gives me some context so I can kind of have a sense of what's going on without having to step in the minefield of whether or not I'm going to, you know, open my voice comm and just hear some horrible racist shit, because that's usually, I, I think, what happens. In fact, with the gamers median age getting into the kind of the late the 20s and 30s now i sometimes get a sense that in the game community at least especially on the pc that a majority of the people playing the games are actually all the same kind of guy they're all and girl they're all huddled kind of like flinching every time another player comes close if everybody just relaxed we'd probably actually find that for the most part most of the people we're playing with are totally cool <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I feel that way too. And, and I think, you know, in terms of like communication in general, something that has persisted in the Counter-Strike community is, is, is it's sort of penchant for conversation in a good way, I think. You, you go back to even Counter-Strike Go and just people are used to being in that sort of timeout zone when they die in Counter-Strike and like, okay, what do I do? It's sort of like this peanut gallery, like, you know, timeout zone where, where you have the freedom to talk and, and sort of it's it's interesting that it's persisted throughout that series, I think. Um, whereas in Battlefield, yeah, people just sort of have this like tunnel tunnel vision, tunnel communication mentality where it's all about them as an individual or they're alternatively sort of in ventrilo or team speak with their set of guys that they play games with. And functionally, there's sort of a, a you know, a problem with, with them sort of being on multiple voice, parallel voice uh, channels and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I hope it changes. I, I would love to see... I don't know. I, I would love to, love to see it encouraged in some way in Planet Side 2, though I'm not sure how. Uh, so we should wrap it up because we are rapidly uh, destroying Phil's day tomorrow. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's almost four over there, is it not? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, we, we put this one together from coast to coast and then across the ocean. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thanks to Phil uh, for sticking it out with us. No worries, uh, I know that not out anyway. Can have an ugly day tomorrow. <laughs> hey, it's like 10 p.m. here in Canada. It's pretty. It's pretty rough. It's but that pretty is rough that here. is your guys' bedtime. 
<laughs> it's uh, this, is, this is like staying up to midnight uh, when you're eight. Uh, Canada as a whole yeah. has to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Otherwise, you get cranky. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to return, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's pretty clear. Like, you know, Planet Side, you know, isn't it isn't a strategy game, but it definitely has a a, a strong strategic element uh, that I find increasingly common in shooters, and certainly common in the, uh, you know, the shooters I find myself drawn to. Uh, these mm. days, where it's really there's so much more going on inside these games now, especially a game like Planet Side Two, that's uh, not about you know just putting rounds on the target. And, and the thing, the thing is, it's they're taking lessons from strategy games, and I think that's the the thing we're noticing the most is that we've got resources, we've got capture points, we've got all of these um, things that aren't just team deathmatch. They're layers that are providing context to the conflict, which is always going to make it a more entertaining experience. All right, so that'll do it for our uh, Planet Side 2 and uh, multiplayer shooter show. Uh, I appreciate you sticking with us as we, you know, break from our usual theme here. And uh, believe me, uh, usual regular programming will resume uh, next week. Uh, Troy is putting together a truly gnarly-sounding uh, board gaming topic uh, that I'm sure uh, will be totally incomprehensible uh, to many people who'd be tuning in for a <laughs> Planet Side discussion. But I'd like to thank our guests, uh, Phil, Evan, uh, Sean. Thank you for joining me tonight, uh, especially on short notice, uh, for kind of a random, wide-ranging topic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks very much. And as always, our thanks to our producer, Michael Hermes. Uh, We'll be back next week. Well, I won't be. Uh, I will be in Las Vegas for IPL 5, watching a lot of League of Legends and StarCraft. And who knows, maybe there'll be another League of Legends episode, because I know you guys love them. All right. Uh, Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight. Night. Night.